You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Hey, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 6, and if you need a worship guide, raise your hand, and uh, these guys will, will get one to you. If, you. if you need one, just lift it up high enough where they can see you, and they'll make sure everyone gets one of the worship guides. We are talking about a marriage and parenting and we're going to finish the series off with a single message on parenting. We've kind of really been making sure that our theme is kind of running through the fabric of everything we do this, this year. And this year of the child is, is so important. And we're excited about it. I, I was thinking about a few funny. I thought I'd start off with something funny. It's not a, a, an intense sermon, although it's got some intense parts. But nothing better than laughing a little bit, right, from the outset. It's okay to laugh in church. You guys okay with that? All right, well, listen, here's a few funnies, all right? A little boy was attending his first wedding. And so after the service, his cousin asked him, hey, how many women can a man actually marry? Sixteen, the boy replied. His cousin was amazed at how quickly he had answered the question. Well, how do you know that? Easy, the little boy said. All you have to do is add it up. Like the pastor said, four better, four worse, four richer, four poorer. Hey. All right. Anyway, that was good. Hey, after a church service on Sunday morning, a young boy suddenly announced to his mother, Mom, I've decided to become a minister when I grow up. Well, that's okay with us, but, but what made you decide that? Well, said the little boy, I have to go to church on Sunday anyway, so I figure it'd be more fun to stand up and yell than sit down and listen. So you can see kind of how I got my calling there. I get to be that one guy that can stand up and yell. This is, this is a cute one. One more here. A little girl was sitting on her grandfather's lap as he read her a bedtime story. From time to time, she would take her eyes off the book and reach up to touch his wrinkled cheek. She was alternately stroking her own cheek, then his again, then hers, then his. Finally, she spoke up, Grandpa, did God make you? Yes, sweetheart, he answered. God made me a long time ago. Oh, she responded. Grandpa, did God make me too? Yes, indeed, honey, he said. God made you just a little while ago. Feeling their respective faces again, she observed, God's getting better at it, isn't he? (laughs) Oh, man. Kids are great, aren't they? And they can say some of the most phenomenal things. And so let's jump into this message. And I want to say from the outset that our message today is on the importance of parenting. And the goal is to give encouragement for every parent. And also the goal is to give encouragement for every parent to be. Or every parent who has a child in the nursery. Or potentially even a parent of a grown child who has children. Whoever you are in the building, you have an interest, I'm sure, in, in one or more children connected to your life or in your life. I know that I have many children. All of yours are connected in some way to my life. And so it's exciting to be able to start with a verse on the screen from Proverbs 29 in verse 18. And I want to give you a couple of perspectives here just as we begin the message. This is foundational, but it's going to get everybody on board. Are you ready? Where there is no vision. Let's stop right there. Let me make a statement about vision because it seems as if so many people have no vision. It seems to me that 
There are many churches that have no vision. Just a side note, you know, when churches begin to rid themselves of children or when children find themselves uh, with no interest in going to church and the church begins to become all older folks, then I can assure you there was very little vision in that church. You see, when there is no vision, you might even say that, that children perish. Let me give you the ESV version here. It says where there's no prophetic vision. That word prophetic meaning this, God-given vision. When there is no God-given vision, the people cast off restraint. In other words, where there is no clear word from God as to what God requires, prophetic vision, as to what God expects, then people cast off restraint. They break loose. They perish, you see. You hear these stats, and I've been a part of many services and uh, seminars. I've even read a number of books that have consistently said something like this. 85% of our children, 75, 85, some kind of high percentage where you just kind of sit back in your chair and you say, no way. But this many of our youth that graduate or that leave our churches at some point don't come back. And every time I hear that, I, I, I just think, man, that is so sad. Why is it that so many young people are casting off restraint? They are breaking loose. Well, let me give you a for today only interpretation of Proverbs 29, 18. It's in your notes. It's just the Erica Pacey version where it says this, where there is no clear God-given vision for parents, children break loose. And so this morning, I I want our parents here today, our grandparents here today, our children ministry leaders today to have a clear God-given vision for children. Let's let's get that, let's, let's just join together in our hearts, our hands, our lives, our efforts this morning in this year of the child to have a God-given vision for our children. That they might not break loose, cast off restraint, take off and, and leave the church and potentially walk away from some of the values that in our minds they're being taught, at least we think they are. And so there's one right vision for your child's life. Now let me rephrase that. Maybe it's not one right vision. Maybe I should say it like this. There's one that matters most. There's one vision that matters most for every child. There's one right thing. And before I give you that one right thing, I want to say this. I want you to know that you're not the only one that has a vision for your children if you have one. The school system has a vision for your children. The world has a vision for your children. Hey, your kids' friends have a vision for them. Even some parents tend to have a wrong vision for their child. And and I don't know if the word wrong is too strong here, but let me give you a few wrong visions or at least, you know, uh, disillusioned visions that we have. First of all, there is uh, the, the vision that says, I want my child to be successful. And I think sometimes that is a very empty vision. Because sometimes our expectations for our children can be so high that they're not really ready and prepared for those expectations to be successful in their parents' eyes and they feel like they let us down. So it's just empty. And then I want my child to be happy. Well, that's nice and and sounds okay, but that's a short-sighted vision. They won't always be happy. You won't always be happy with them. They won't always be happy with you. 
It's a very short-sighted vision. And then there's the dangerous vision that says, well, I just, I just want my child to make me happy. Isn't that what matters most? That's dangerous. Or maybe the vision that says, I want my child to be mature. And again, not a bad thing, but somewhat worldly. Here is the right vision, the biblical vision. Here is the eternal vision. I want my child to be a committed follower of Jesus Christ. Is there anything more important than that? For my child, for my girls, for my boys, for my grandchildren, for your children to be committed followers of Jesus Christ. Because if they have that, they will have everything, no matter what they don't have. But if they don't have that, they'll be miserable in this life and spend an eternity in hell, no matter what they acquire or achieve. The most important vision that our children would become committed followers of Jesus Christ. You see, I'm pretty focused about this. I'm pretty passionate about this. I mean, this is something that you'll, you'll see uh, come out with some intensity as I speak on raising children and being a husband, being a committed family person. I believe this. I'm convinced this is the key. This is what changes everything. And so I get a little tired of parents who are so lethargic about spiritually influencing their children. I just, I'm just tired of that. I'm tired of parents who think that grades and sports are more important than church and God. I'm tired of parents and so many Christian parents who have secular godless visions for their children. I realize you cannot guarantee that your children will become followers of Jesus Christ, but there are some things that you can do that will almost guarantee they won't become committed followers of Jesus Christ. And so with that said, let's jump into the text because the text is just really insightful. Ephesians 6 and verse 1, it begins with the word children. And so let's identify just for a moment that that word obviously uh, is a word that we would also, I guess we could use that, you know, even as our children get older. But in this text, the emphasis, the the, the leading here is that this is an opportunity, a window of time that we have while our children are in the home, emphasizing the training years of our children. Children in their youth, in their young days, while they're inside our homes, under our roofs, if you will. Now, don't be mistaken here in thinking that this verse is primarily for children. I am primarily not speaking to children this morning, although I am, and they should obey their parents. And, and, but, but, but my children at age, for instance, take, uh, take, take KJ and, and Bentley, my grandchildren, they're not going to pick up the Bible and say, oh, Ephesians 6.1, children, obey your parents in the Lord. I'm going to do that. That's wonderful. First of all, uh, they're not going to do that. Second of all, that's not their responsibility. The responsibility of teaching children to obey is to the parents. And so when Scripture says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, I'm convinced that's an admonition for the parents to understand that their children are to be taught to obey. Now, there'll come a time when they learn that and they read that and they comprehend that. But until then, they need people, influences in their lives that are teaching them to obey. I found that out yesterday. You see... Yesterday, I volunteered to babysit for Joe and Tiffany while they went on a date. See, that's how, you, that's how you spend time with grandchildren and help your kids strengthen their marriage at the same time. 
I also volunteered to take care of Glorianne since I traveled a couple days last week. And so I, I had this all planned out. I said, Joe, I'm, I'm going to pick them up at your house. Don't drop them off. I've got, I, I know how to, you got to make things, you know, you got to organize when you've got Glorianne and, you know, your two grand boys, you got to, you got to organize your time. So I said, we're going Chick-fil-A first. I'll pick them up, go to Chick-fil-A. It's fantastic. I love Chick-fil-A. You love Chick-fil-A? The, the, oh, what a place. I mean, you know, and, and my philosophy is this. What you do is you get there, you get your meals, and then get six nuggets for the kids because they eat a nugget and they go play for 10 minutes. Now, I know what your philosophy is. Eat all your food, then you can play. Forget that. Eat a nugget, go play for 10 minutes. Work it off. Come back, get another nugget. Go work 10 minutes. It's great. We were there an hour and a half, man. It's fantastic. Gloria Ann's having a great time. Man, we had awesome, awesome time together. Then we get home, and, you know, it just keeps going. I mean, you just, you just got to keep moving, you know. So, so we get out Candyland. Anybody ever play Candyland? Fantastic game. Oh, yeah, Candyland. Open up the thing. We get the kids. Gloria Ann's kind of watching. She loves to watch Laney and KJ and Bentley. She just watches. She just takes an interest. So I got KJ and Bentley on the ground, and we got Candyland out. We stack up the cards, and we get the colors right. You know, I want this color. I want that color. We got all the colors going. And so the game starts, and KJ takes the lead. Well, Bentley says, Papa, I want to be first. And I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm last right now. But, but I understand I want to be first too. No, no, I want to be first. And it's okay, well, you've got to play the game. So he picks the card up, and the card only lets him move one space. And KJ's like way ahead. He doesn't like that. He says, Papa, I want to move right here. And I said, no, no, that, that you can't. No, 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 I want to be in front. I said, well, you might get in front, but you've got to get in front according to the rules. You've got to pick the cards up. And as you look at the colors, hopefully that will eventually get you in front of KJ. But it might not. You might lose. You might win. It's a game. We're going to follow the rules. I don't like that rule because I want to be in front. I've got to be in first place. I said, because it's, it's a rule. And this 15 minutes of conversation Finally, he settled down. He realized, okay, it's a rule. I've got to, I've got to get... The, we started praying, oh, God, help him to pick up the right colors. Dear Jesus, help KJ. I mean, we were praying about this thing. I mean, God didn't particularly answer that prayer, but we tried everything. And, and it took 15 minutes of, of teaching and training because in his mind, it's just, I want to be first, so I get to first, but that's not how it works. So it takes me some teaching. Bentley didn't say... KJ's in first. I'm okay with that. I think that's fantastic. I'm so proud of KJ. This is great. If you've got kids like that, you've you got weird kids. And, and so we had to take time to train. Listen, I'm convinced that it is my responsibility to teach my children, my grandchildren, how to obey. That there are rules. There are parameters. That takes time. Let me tell you something. I wasn't on my cell phone yesterday for a couple of hours. If you would have died, you'd have had to wait. I'm sorry. It's okay. Well, I'll be there soon. I got grandkids. I'm playing Candyland. There's no time to check my text messages. I mean, it's just like 24-7. I mean, when you've got Gloria and two kids and they're, you know, papa, 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 papa. It's like, you know, Calgon, take me away, you know. But it's worth it because that's my responsibility to teach and to, to teach obedience. Let me give you the key statement here. Obedience is the foundation upon which the only right vision for your children is built. It's the foundation. I like a lot of things. I like to do a lot of things with my kids. I like to have fun. But having fun with your kids is not the foundation for the only right vision. Uh, you know, 
taking your kids out to a restaurant or going on a vacation. Those are all good things. And I think those are all somewhere along the line. If I had a 10 things to do with your children, I would have go on vacation, take them out to eat. But at the top of the list, it would be teach them to obey. That's number one. That's the first vision that we need to have for our kids to, to build a good foundation. One of my favorite movies is, anybody ever seen Hoosiers? If you've seen Hoosiers, raise your hand. Come on. Oh, good. Half the crowd. It's, it's cool. It's old. It's early 90s. I know. It's sports. I know. I love sports movies. It, but the great thing about this movie is it's, 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 it's very good watch. It's very clean. In fact, it's one of those movies that I would encourage every parent to watch with their children because there's a lot of life lessons in this movie and very safe to watch. It's a fantastic movie about a coach in a small town in Indiana who gets a bunch of guys together and 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 they they lose a lot of games. In fact, they lose so many games that the whole town is mad at him. They're trying to get him fired. They're trying to kick him out of town. Uh, players are mad at him. Players are walking out on him. In fact, I'm going to show you real quickly to illustrate something here. Uh, a little scene in the locker room. Uh, volume will need to be turned up a little bit. You can't hear it great. But I want you to hear one thing in particular that the coach says to his players after a loss as they walk to the locker room. Those of you on the floor at the end, I'm proud of you. Played your guts out. I'm only going to say this one time. All of you have the weekend. Think about whether or not you want to be on this team or not. Under the following condition. What I say when it comes to this basketball team is the law. Absolutely and without discussion. I'm only going to say this one time. When it comes to this ball team, what I say is the law. Did you get that? Now, can I tell you the rest of the story? At the end of the movie, they end up winning the state championship. It's incredible. In fact, there's a scene in the same locker room where the same coach looks at the same team, a few less players because some did walk out, and he said, as they won, I love you guys. Man, I love you guys. So awesome. But that's where we want to start. You know, we like that part, the mushy part. I love you guys. I love you. We don't like the, what I say is the law. But I think God likes that because that's what God did in the book of Exodus. He started with the law. He said, here's the Ten Commandments. And then out of that, obedience comes 
so many things that we, we do enjoy. But in this little clip, I think we learn something, that obedience is the foundation. That's where it starts. And so let's give three rules of obedience. Everybody's familiar with these rules. Rule number one is do what you're told. That's the preschool lesson. That's the K4, K5 lesson. I mean, this is where it all starts. Not real complicated here. You know, they, they, they just got to do what they're told. They, 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 they don't understand. It takes a lot of time. Sometimes it takes a lot of training when they're in uh, their young days, their youth. But this is, this is what, where it starts. Number two is do it immediately. And that's when they're in the, that's the elementary years. This is, uh, you know, they're doing what they're told, but they're not doing it real quickly. They're taking their time. And so the second rule of obedience is do it immediately. The third rule of obedience takes a lifetime to learn, and that's do it with the right attitude. In fact, I'm 53. Still working on that one. Amen? I think all of us would say that one just never stops. It always, there's always going to be teaching on having the right attitude attitude. In fact, you know, every Sunday morning I preach, I pray, oh God, help people to receive this with the right attitude. I mean, as we hear from God, we need to make sure that what we're doing is, is what we're told, what scripture says. We do it at the right time. We do it with the right attitude. These are things we teach our children. What is the definition of obedience? Think about it this way. A genuine, willing adherence to a request from someone in authority. I mean, this is what we're shooting for. This is what our goal is. For our children to have a genuine, willing adherence to a request from someone in authority. So let me give you three reasons why obedience is the foundation for everything. As we lay this foundation, as we begin now to move into the text and really unpack this text. In the next 20, 30 minutes, let me give you these thoughts. Number one, Ephesians 6.1. Are you ready? Here it is. Children, obey your parents, doesn't say spiritual parents, your parents in the Lord, your, your, your mom and dad, obey your parents in the Lord. Why? Because it's right. Number one, the first reason why our children should obey their parents, the first reason why obedience is the foundation for everything is a real simple reason. It's right. It's just Right. You know why we ought to do what's right? Because it's right. And sometimes those simple answers just really kind of, they're not good enough for us. They don't, it's, it's not enough information. There's just, it's got to be more to it than that. No, no, no. It's right. And every time that you insist that your child obey, you are doing right. And it's hard. And it takes time. And it takes effort. But you're doing the right thing when you insist that your children obey. So keep on insisting because it is, it's right. Um, you know, it's amazing. I guess you, you never stop parenting. Uh, yesterday, I went to my mom's, on oh, Friday night, I went to the village to visit my mom and, and she still, she, she still loves to kind of throw her weight around, you know. And, 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 you know, hey, Eric, go get this and go get that. My mom's very, she's, she's got her mind, thankfully, but she's pretty much bedridden, can't walk. She's really got a tough time with her health. And so I was reading this story. I thought it was interesting. And this story was told by Laura Bush, not Barbara Bush, but it was told about a visit that Laura and George Jr. had a visit when they visited 
uh, as, when he was president, they visited his mom and dad. Here it is. You ready? It's a cool story. A couple of summers ago, we were visiting them at their house in Maine for the 4th of July. George woke up at 6 a.m., and as usual, he just kind of padded downstairs for a cup of coffee. And then he got his cup of coffee, he went and sat on the sofa in his parents' bedroom, and he just propped his feet up on the sofa. And all of a sudden, Barbara hollered, put your foot down, George. And George W., the senior, or George Sr., said, Barbara, for goodness sake, he's the president of the United States of America. And Barbara replied, I don't care who he is, I don't want his feet on my coffee table. And Laura Bush went on to say that even the president of the United States has to listen to his mother. I think there's, there's just a little cute lesson in all of that. You see that, that obedience is just, it's the right thing to do. Now let's be specific for just a moment. Let's, be, let's clarify this because sometimes it, there, there needs to be a breaking down of the truth. What are the limits? Are there, are there things that we don't need to do when it comes to teaching obedience? Well, number one, let me tell you what obedience is not. It is not compliance. It's important for us to understand what compliance is because that is not obedience. To be very specific, the Webster's Dictionary defines compliance as ceremoniously, courteously obedient without mind or emotion. I, I, I do it because I have to. I find that so many children are raised in environments where going to church is just compliance. I do it because I have to. I don't have a choice. I can't wait till I'm 18. I'm out of here. It's not a good sign. It may not be a good sign, though, as to how we're teaching the importance of church, how fun church should be, how exciting church, what a, what a heavyweight that is on all of us, on me as the pastor, to make sure that what I'm preaching, children will enjoy and go home and say, he was funny, or I enjoyed that, or I, I don't mind being funny. If that's what it takes to keep a child interested in church, to have a few jokes and, and to move around and to be a little bit interesting, I'm okay with that. My kids have always said, and I'm thankful for this, and, 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 and we, we have been able to accomplish that. that, that uh, Mo, I remember, told me one time when a, parent was, uh, a child was complaining about going to church or a parent complaining about, you know, going to church. Uh, we used to go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I mean, three days a week and, and never missed, ever. And obviously, he never missed. And uh, you're thinking, yeah, you're the pastor. You got to be there. But I wanted to. And I wanted my kids to know I wanted to. I never complained about going to church. I never gave this idea that we got to go to church. You know, man, all right, y'all get ready. We're going to church. It won't be long. Hopefully, you'll preach short today. You know, it, it was always about we get to go. You see, because when it comes to this matter of compliance, obedience is interested in the heart. And any dictator parent can produce conformity in their children. But that's not the goal. The goal is not, not that I would produce conformity. The goal is that I would produce children that, that want to do right. I want to go to church. I want to invite others to church. And number two, obedience is not cowering. Cowering meaning this, that yielding under power and intimidation. I think sometimes we, we carry that way beyond the age that we should. For instance, when my children were younger, 
there was a, a measure of intimidation. For instance, there was a fear of a spanking. And without going into detail this morning, I'm not teaching. I've done a lot of teaching on spanking. But obviously, there is a time and a place for patient, loving, firm correction. Chasten your son while there is hope. Spare not thy soul for his crying. When children are very, very young, there's still hope to, to get their attention to to, to to spank. But if you're still spanking when they're 8, 9, 10, junior high, dude, you've, you've missed the opportunity. Be very careful about that. There's a time and a place for this. But for the most part, our job is not to be drill sergeants who get external only obedience. Our goal is heart change. Not compliance, not cowering, but heart change. And heart change requires a lot of time and effort and teaching, especially after they are, you know, out of the K4, K5s, maybe six-year-old age group. Then number two, obedience is the foundation for everything because if they don't honor their parents, they will not honor God. When we teach our kids to honor parents, there's a linkage to, to honoring God. In fact, in Ephesians 6.1, notice it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Then it goes on to say something that the book of Exodus said, Honor your father and your mother, because this is, it's the first commandment of ten with promise. In fact, if you look at Exodus chapter 20, if you look at the ten commandments, you find that the first four commandments were pretty much, Do this, I'm God. Do this, I'm God. But number five is, honor your father and your mother. Why, God? Oh, um, so that your days may be long in the land that I've given you. That's pretty cool. And so if I honor my parents, number three, pay attention Because if they don't honor God, life could be miserable and short for them. You see, by learning to honor our parents, there is a connection to learning to honor God. In fact, children that honor their parents are more likely to honor God. Children that honor God are more likely to honor their parents. You know, I've gotten to the place now, at an age now, to where... You know, I, I don't, my parents really don't give me a lot of orders, if any. I mean, they, they, they're not, it's not about obedience at this point, it's about honor. But the reason why I'm so interested in honoring my parents is because I obeyed them. And, and, and what obedience produces is a desire to honor, to honor your parents. I want my mom and my dad to be proud of me. I want my life to, to be a, a life that, that dad would say, son, I'm, I'm proud of you and where my mom would say, man, son, I'm, I'm proud of you. I have that desire, and I want to please God as well. It's amazing how that connection is made when we teach our kids to obey. This is what obedience produces. It is the foundation for everything because it's right. Because if they don't honor their parents, they won't honor God. Because if they don't honor God, life could be miserable and short for them. A child who honors their parents usually learns to obey their parents. So how can I teach my kids to obey? Let's get practical for just a minute. This is where really a sermon for me gets fun. And this is where it gets a little bit lighter too. 
how can I teach my kids to obey their parents? Or how can I teach my grandchildren to obey their parents? How can I teach your kids to obey you? I mean, I want to have a part in all of this. And so here are three, four, five quick ways to do that. Number one, notice in our text, in Ephesians it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with promise, that it may go well with thee, uh, and, and, with, uh, and that you may live long in the land. And then it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline or the nurture and instruction or the admonition of the Lord. Number one, we teach our kids to obey by teaching what the Bible says. We want to do that to dispel ignorance. We want our kids to know why. Explain parameters and their purpose. They should be asking why and you should be able to answer. It's not enough to say, do this. And they ask why. Because I said so. Not a good answer. That's not a good answer. Our kids need to know why. Sit down and explain the reason. Because rules without reasons lead to rebellion. And I'm convinced that there are many kids that have left the church and walked away from this because they just never got answers. Nobody ever sat down and explained. And when we did sit down and explain, we did it from a position of superiority, like we were better than everybody else, like we were the only ones that knew what was right. Or we actually said, well, because the pastor said, not a good answer. First of all, not everything I say is straight from the Word of God. Some, sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll get off into just my, my opinion or my thoughts, or this is kind of my, my direction. Maybe I play it safer than some. I don't know. My kids, we've talked a lot about alcohol and, and drinking, and, and, and they ask, and we talk about it. We talk about why we don't drink and, and, and why we've taken that position, but we don't do it where we're putting someone else down. We do it where we're explaining what Scripture says and what's best and what's safe and why the Capaci family has embraced this and why we're teaching this and, and obviously hoping that they'll continue to do that. We don't do it while we're blasting and criticizing everyone else. We just teach it from a biblical perspective out of love to kids who have questions. When our kids ask questions about maybe a certain movie to attend. You know, there's a lot of good movies. In fact, we just went and saw that, that uh, movie, uh, I Can Only Imagine. Wow, right? Powerful, tear-jerking. And thank God that there are more good Christian movies out there that we can go watch and, and other, you know, whatever. But there, there are some that, that, that kids are inquiring about that if you and I don't take time to sit down and talk in depth. For instance, there's a, there's a movie out right now promoting, uh, I've heard, homosexuality. I think the movie's called Simon. And, and, and listen, it's not enough just to not go. Sometimes that's an opportunity to say, look, let's talk about this. This is something that's being promoted. Why do we take a position? I'm actually working on a series of messages right now that's going to teach our church and give an explanation of some of the hard conversations that are being had right now uh, in families, in churches, how we need to love and welcome people who are not just like us. But how do we do that? And, and how do we do that in the context of Scripture? These are great things to discuss as a church family. Without getting angry and ugly and hateful and, 
There's ways to do that. But it takes time. I may never have a good golf game, but I'm okay with that. I may never be a great fisherman. I'm okay with that. I may never have a hobby where I get recognized and, uh, you know, as being a great whatever, but, but I would just like to be a really good parent and a really good grandparent. And if I die and go to heaven and, and I was just a good dad and a good papa, that's my hobby. My hobby is pastoring, parenting, and pawpawing. You like that? It's a three points. Parent, pastor, pawpaw. <laughs> Actually, probably pa- parent, pawpaw, and pastor in that order. Because that is really, honestly, the greatest heritage we can leave behind. And, and, and taking time to give reasons for the rules we have and explaining why this is something that is either wrong or something that we as a family just don't participate in. But here's why. Here's why. And sometimes that conversation could go an hour, two hours, but it's worth it. Number two, by staying with the process. I say that based on this part of the verse. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up. Now, when I read that, I thought that indicates a plan, a process, time. Bring them up. That's like 18 years. I mean, while I have the opportunity to raise my children the entire time I'm teaching them, the whole time, uh, all 18 years, it's not like, well, you know what, they're, they're 14, they got to grow up sometime. No, I'm, st- I'm still teaching. There's a lot more to learn. There's a lot of more things and issues and changes in their body's chemistry and and, and their eyes are beginning to open up to different things and they have more questions and the world is waxing worse and worse, which requires parents to be more engaged. And there's so many reasons why this process is, is worth it. Sleeping in the same house does not raise good children. I was reading this letter and I thought I'd share it with you. Father walked into the bedroom of his son and He was kind of shocked because it was super clean and tidy and the bed was made just perfectly. And then he noticed there was a note on the pillow and his stomach sank and his hands began to quiver as he grabbed the letter. It was addressed, Dad, dear Dad, it is with great regret and sorrow that I'm writing you. I had to elope with my new girlfriend because I wanted to avoid a scene with you and Mom. I've been finding real passion with Julie. She's so nice. I knew you would not approve of her because of all of her piercings and tattoos and tight motorcycle clothing and the fact that she is so much older than I am. But it's not just her passion, Dad. She really understands me. She says we are going to be very happy. She owns a trailer in the woods and has a stack of firewood just enough for the whole winter. We share a dream of having many children. Don't worry, Dad. I know I'm just 15, but I can take care of myself. I'm sure we'll be back someday to visit you so you can get to know that your grandchildren signed your son, Chad. P.S. Dad, none of the above is true. I'm over at Tommy's house. I just wanted to remind you that there are worse things in life than the report card in my desk drawer. I love you, Dad. Call me when it's safe to come home. Do you know how hard it was not to laugh while I was reading that letter? And and, and here's what I learned from that letter. The lesson is this. I don't want my kids to be afraid to tell me anything. I want to be approachable. 
And when my kids are afraid to tell me of something, I want to be willing to spend time to break the ice, to, to buy the meal, to get to the dessert, to work through the conversation till it gets to the, to the, to the real important stuff, the uncomfortable stuff, the things that they don't want to tell me but they need to tell me. And sometimes that takes time. Let's work hard to make it easy for our children to tell us things. And I think that requires bringing them up. It's a process. But don't give up on the process. Number three, we, <clears throat> we teach our kids to obey, number three, by living what you believe to limit rebellion. Notice I said limit because I guess to an extent we're all going to have some of it, right? I mean, our kids aren't perfect. And th- there's going to be moments where they do things that disappoint us and we're not happy. But we want to limit that. I mean, limit it as much as we can. So the best way to do that is to live what you believe. Don't push them beyond reason. Scripture says, look at it in verse 4. It's very interesting. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Don't provoke them to anger. Live what you believe. Don't push them beyond reason. Don't expect the impossible. Don't make obedience more difficult than it needs to be. Don't offer no grace. Don't fail to ease up at times. Don't refuse an appeal. Don't silence laughter in your home. And worst of all, don't Cause your children to look at you and say that you are a do as I say, not as I do, parent. Nothing will fan the flames of rebellion more than parent hypocrisy. Nothing. Nothing. When we have a different set of standards for our kids, when when we say no to this, but we do it, when we say no to that curse word, but we curse that word. When, when we say yes to certain things and inconsistently do them ourselves, I guess what I'm saying is that it is so important that we live what we talk. That consistency is huge. To be who we say we are. Because nothing fans the flame of, hy- of rebellion more than parent hypocrisy. And then number four, and... And this is a, such an important one. And I'm, I'm glad I'm, I'm, I'm closing with this one. And I want to I draw your attention to verse 4 again. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline, the instruction, the nurture, the admonition of the Lord. The word I want to focus on right there is the word admonition or instruction because that word is the same word, here it is, as encouragement. So number four is this. Nurture the learner... The child, nurture the learner to avoid discouragement. Nurture them. Come alongside them. They need someone at times to encourage them, to pick them up. Your girls need need a dad to say, you are beautiful. No one is more beautiful than you. You, you, Except for mom. Thank you. No one. you're, You're the best. Son... You're just the best son in all the world. I can't think of anybody I'd rather have as my son than you and your brothers. 
I mean, just brag on our kids. They need nurturing. They need that admonition. I don't get it. I don't get a teenager committing suicide. That kills me. That kill, it, just, it, just, it just really discourages me to think that why, why, would a child, why would a child take his life? Where is the encourager? Where is the person that says, no, you're, you're valuable to me. You're important to me. You're the best. You're the greatest. I love you. Let, let's, let's find out what it is that's bothering you. Let's get this taken care of. Let's go get some help. Let's, let's talk this through. Let's... That's what kids need. There's so much discouragement in the world today that admonition means a spoken word of encouragement. And there's nothing like encouragement. Nothing. This, my friend, is the greatest tool to raise children when you teach them to obey and then back it up with, with encouragement. Proverbs 25, 11 says that a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. You, you really meditate on that? Isn't that beautiful? Think about the, just the poetic reasoning in that verse. If I speak right words, it's like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Just the right timing. When to say something kind. When to brag on our kids. When to, when to encourage them. So often we, we correct them and they only hear from us when they're doing something wrong. But they never hear from us when they're doing something right. We need that all the time. See? And so let's determine to parent God's way. Marriage and parenting God's way. And you know, Ephesians 6, 1 through 4 comes on the heels of Ephesians 5. So you've got, okay, husbands, love your wives. Okay, wives, wives, uh, obey your husbands. And we've got all this teaching, right? In Ephesians 5 and then Ephesians 6. Hey, children, hey, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. And by the way, parents, that's for you to teach your children to do this until they learn to do it. I don't think I would have obeyed my parents even in a divorced situation where I'm seeing my dad every other weekend and then twice a year when we moved to Hot Springs as a teenager I don't think I would have got that without people investing in me to teach and train me how to obey immediately the first time I'm told and with a good attitude so there's a lot here study it ask God to give you wisdom talk about it in your small group and in this year, the child, tomorrow night at the parent roundtable, let's come together like we never had before and really start investing in our children in ways that maybe we never even realized we, we could. Every head bowed, every eye closed.